1: Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. I am back from vacation, and you are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. This week, we start off with me forcing my co-worker, Steph Young, to fill me in on everything I've missed, which is a lot, before we get all philosophical again. And then Douglas Reyes-Soron from the Rose Room Collective, a supporters group for the Washington Spirit and also DC United, he joins the pod to walk us through the supporter side of the latest from the district. But before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of full-time plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app. You can subscribe now at theathletic.com slash full-time. There's always an offer there, and it's always one of our best deals. But right now, it is 50% off your new annual subscription. Steph and I are obviously all in on all of the latest from the NWL, but at least one of us will be at every single U.S. Women's National Team game friendly this fall as well. So we're going to have lots to keep you reading and listening to for the rest of 2021 and beyond. Get those subscriptions at theathletic.com slash full time. Now, since I am about to force Steph to fill me in on everything I have missed while in Alaska, let's just dig right in. Hi, Steph. Hi, Meg. Um, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I went on vacation. Go back for like <laughs> for for eight nine days. What happened, Steph? Go. I need you. Go back I to need Alaska you to in.
2: and stay there. <laughs> um. <laughs> Just yeah, go live with the sled dogs and the trail guy that you met. <laughs> Learn how to make fire from rubbing sticks together. <laughs> Just go live in the forest. I, I forgot that we,
1: so so my wife and I went to Alaska. We were visiting some friends. Um, we went on a little boat tour. We went to a place called Talkeetna. We went dog mushing because technically it was not really a sled since it was you know 55 degrees and kind of rainy. Um, but also we went on this boat tour in Talkeetna and we had a naturalist who got to carry around a shotgun in case there were bears on our little nature walk. And we were we were live we were live vlogging this experience to stuff in our little group chat. So it was a it was a good vacation, have to say. Although the part where we went camping and it was thirty five degrees out at night was a decision on my part. Um but yeah, I feel like everything happened in this league
2: ever. I, I have to like <laughs> go back through my Twitter. It's like my little <laughs> note log of all the things that happened so much while you were gone. What what was yeah. the first day of your vacation? Do you remember? Well, that was so. I was working on
1: uh, Freya to Angel City FC and it broke while I was on the plane. I had been writing that under embargo and I had to buy airplane Wi-Fi <laughs> in order to finish the story and write it and file it from 36,000 feet on my way to Anchorage. Um, So that's kind of the last major thing obviously the Kristen Press news I Mm -hmm. think was next.
2: And (laughs) then uh, the PSRA, the professional referees organization is trying to unionize their Pro 2 which is the ladder right below Pro 1 and they were not voluntarily recognized by Pro so I think we're going to see some more news on that coming out soon. uh, Afghanistan women's national team players got evacuated, some of them, through like the tireless efforts of Khalida Popal. You should read the, I, think, I believe it's in The Guardians by Susie Rack. The piece is absolutely incredible. I literally wept <laughs> while I was reading it yeah. because Khalita talks about how she couldn't sleep, she couldn't eat, obviously. And at one point, her body was like, You're not going to do this anymore, and forced her to collapse. And she just woke up, like being given oxygen by paramedics. And <clears throat> yeah a lot of stuff yeah. pales after you're like yeah oh, yeah i mean that is <laughs> okay soccer is just a game yeah yeah
1: i i definitely think that that between that and also so i i got back to new york city yesterday and obviously i mean i'm skipping ahead in this chronology in terms of like what happens but you know i get back I took a very long. I do not sleep on red eyes, so I had a very long nap in the morning, and that was part of the reason why I took the day off was to kind of unpack, which I did not actually end up doing. And uh, obviously, the Christie Holly news broke on Tuesday night, but then I also just stayed awake until one a.m. Eastern, watching SB eight happen in Texas and waiting to see if the Supreme Court would intervene. Which again, I think provided some context Mm -hmm. for everything else that was happening because that felt just very bad right very bad in many ways and obviously the the news from Louisville is not necessarily good news either um but I think having those two things back to back and obviously having the Afghanistan news as well um yeah following that you know while it it, a lot a lot of context and bigger landscape stuff that I think helps put some of what we're dealing with into right. perspective.
2: Um, Tom Torres got hired by uh, a USLW league team as our coach and then subsequently let go um, after a lot of people, including us, and you know, especially in the reporting that you and Pablo did pointed out, he left the spirit under subpar circumstances after mm-hmm. sources told you that he had you know, been inappropriate at a post challenge cup party. Um, you know, Abby Dahlkemper went to the Houston Dash. It was announced as a trade, but Paul Riley and James Clarkson kept calling it a loan, and then Clarkson, mm-hmm. you know, I asked him specifically where her where are her rights gonna end up at the end of the season. He's like, Oh, they go back to the courage. And it's like, is that a loan? That's not allowed under the <laughs> rules. But there must there might have been some kind of transaction they did that technically makes it not alone.
1: Yeah, so that was one where I kind of spoke my head in and be like, I got texted about this while on vacation. <laughs> and I kept trying to send people to you. Like, there were other things, obviously, where you did eventually get phone calls. Yep. Because I was like, hi, you need to talk to Steph right now. Um, but that was one where going in, I think everybody knew that the Dash move was only going to be through the end of the season. And there is essentially a second part to this mm-hmm. however how they are getting it through as some sort of trade that isn't a trade like what i'm assuming is that it is a trade with another trade agreed to be happening but the rights do go back to n- it again the joys of the nw cell and how some of these rules and regulations work slash don't work slash Everything's made up and the points don't matter.
2: Right. If I were to go skirt the rules, which I don't because I'm a rule follower, <laughs> my wife notes <laughs> this about me and then I love following rules because they make me feel nice, is <laughs> that I would trade the rights technically to the dash contingent on them trading the rights back. Yep. So technically, it's not it's a, a loan because the it's rights have changed hands. Yes. Um, yes. There is absolutely
1: more to this and I... The question is when it gets across the finish line because also I think we have all learned our lessons about some things being reported too early and then blowing up and then... So there is there is absolutely a second part to this. I, I absolutely can say that. But what that second part is is still, I think, a little bit of a work in progress mm-hmm. and involves some other variables that have not been necessarily sorted out yet.
2: Right. And but- then... Next in the Michigas is, um, you know, the Washington Spirit Supporters Group, uh, I think Roseroom Collective, uh, had a banner up at their last game that said, sell the team, comma, Steve.
3: Mm-hmm. I just
2: wanted to appreciate that, the little comma in there. And, <laughs> you know, Molly Hensley Clancy, who's great reporting at the post was part of, you know, it was the initial reporting around all this, was actually at the game mm-hmm. and went over because she saw like, oh, what's going on over there? And was there in time to see that they were being told um, like via proxy, like the ownership or staff or whatever was like, take that banner down, even though it doesn't appear to violate any kind of support or code of conduct. Um, And then it strikes and effected into a whole thing. Yes. And actually fun fact, if you keep listening to this
1: podcast, Douglas from Rose Room Collective gets to walk (laughs) us through it. So there that, yeah, the strikes and effect of that moment really was, Mm Mm-hmm. Just, I, <laughs> I, at some point you almost have to laugh. Because right. Because it's just like you could have let that banner stay up and it would have been a small blip. And now instead you have created an entire news cycle about a banner. Right.
2: With very good grammar. And then Molly promptly followed that up with more great reporting about the power struggle going on between why Michelle Kang and Steve Baldwin, which is, you know that's that's also very fun I guess to think about and then Gotham hired a new head coach and assistant coach Scott Parkinson from the Red Stars jumping over Bev Gobelyanes is joining which I think is a great pick um, mm-hmm. for Gotham and <laughs> we talked about Dal Kemper to the dash and then racing Louisville fired Christy Holly like at 10 p.m last night or they announced it mm-hmm. and there's been other little things like Iceland's uh, NPR reports Iceland's entire federation resigned after accusations they basically covered up sexual assault allegations against a player on the men's national team and other stuff. Kim Little retired. Yeah, from international play. She's she's 31, right? I guess she's like, I'm done. I'm not even bothered to try Scottish accent, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very surprised. Like that was some very surprising. Talk moves. about sudden, like oh. Uh. But I'm like They have World Cup qualifiers happening at the end of the month.
3: Aww.
2: Um. So, yes, I don't know whether to tell you to like just go back to Alaska and stay there, <laughs> or you're never allowed to go on vacation ever again.
1: Yeah, I definitely got some DMs from folks around the end of this all being like, you can't go on vacation again because this is what happens. So my apologies yeah. to everyone, especially to Steph, who got to cover <laughs> so many things.
2: A little taste of my solo life before I
1: came along, (laughs)
0: just
2: to do, hey, man, this looks like a fun job.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human and customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me.
3: Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <laughs> Suddenly
1: your phone's blowing up. Yeah, I, I think so. One of the things I wanted to talk with you since I've what was fun is officially like clicking back in this morning and going through my athletic email head. Seven hundred and twenty hundred <laughs> emails, right? So, going through all of that, but also, you know, obviously the Christie Holly news last night immediately turned into. I guess I have to start reaching out to people again, right? Mm-hmm. Who I were, was kind of like, please don't talk to me right now. I'm, I'm in Alaska. Also, sometimes I cannot talk to you because I don't have phone service at all. Um, but one of the the big kind of conversations that. I think we've been having on this show around the league for a while is just kind of, I've seen so much conversation around, like, what is happening with the NWSL right now, right? Like, which, valid question. Yes. And, you know, I I talked about this with, with Doug a little bit too, but the one of the, like, one of the helpful things about taking a step back for a little while is it kind of allows you to... Let your brain <laughs> get a little bit of a, a fresh perspective. Like obviously we live this so much day to day, hour to hour, 10 p.m at night where we're both trying to like fight off jet lag. Um, is just Megan Burke from the the Players Association in the Washington Spirit reporting that we did, basically called this moment a reckoning. Mm-hmm. And the Washington Spirit have obviously had so much attention. But there's so much other stuff happening, right? There, like, there's a lot of fires happening mm-hmm. all at the same time. And it feels like the league office has exactly one small pot lid. <laughs> and the entire oven, stovetop, is on fire. And they're just trying to, like, mm-hmm. go pot by pot and try to get the flames down. And one of the things that I had a really long conversation with, with someone this morning about was just this idea that folks are going to start walking away because they don't think it's worth it. And one of the big ideas was not just that there there is a real chance of the reckoning is good and necessary and very hard work, and it absolutely sucks right now, right? Like all of that is very valid. And also that people are being asked to do all of this work that they, it shouldn't be on them, right? But players shouldn't have to fight for their own safety. It should be guaranteed. All of this sort of stuff, right? But ultimately, the work that is happening right now should, in theory, produce a better League. Where the tension is happening, though, is the League pretending like nothing is going wrong, <laughs> right? And and this idea that, like, yes, and, and I super understand there are some good things happening right now, but you look at kind of the state of the League, And how there are a lot of fires right at the moment. And sure, there, you know, the rain got to play. That was another thing that happened while I was on vacation. (laughs) that glossed over, right? Mm -hmm. The rain got to play at Lumen Field. Like this big moment that the rain have deserved since day one of the league. And yes, there is kind of like, and we don't need to get into this in super depth. But like, you know, it's a doubleheader, right? So there was kind of this discourse about like does this attendance record count or not and I have thoughts on that but we're going to set that aside but like you have these moments but also yes they're good yes they're overdue yes we can talk about them at the same time that we're talking about all of these other critical things and and this pretense that nothing is going wrong or like look at these good things right don't worry about these bad things we've got these we've got these procedures and put pla- like That's where I think the frustration is because there's this inherent assumption that I don't know if it's fans don't care. Fans won't dig. Fans won't have opinions on like, I don't know what it is, but that to me feels like such a central conflict right now where things are on fire (laughs) and we're being told that they're not.
2: I, It's, one of the classic League issues, we talk about it constantly, is they're too opaque. And they're they're too concerned with holding things close to their chest. Um, I certainly understand when it comes to some of these issues around harassment or abuse, that certain aspects of investigations must remain private to protect people, to protect players or people other people who reported. I 100% get that. But I think the league needs to just give a little more as much as they're legally and morally allowed to be like, look, we know things are bad. We're not hiding it from you on purpose. Um, these are the investigations that our third party independent, whoever has done, like maybe once they're concluded, like if it's ongoing, I, I also understand they don't want to comment on that. But once, once it's concluded, I really think it's in their best interest to do some kind of, summary of the findings a little bit more than what they did, honestly. Remember with Sarah Gordon with the incident Well, think about BBVA. Utah.
1: Yeah. Think about Utah too. Like, yeah, so much of this has really just kind of been an investigation has happened. It's concluded. Here's a one sentence description. And I think to your point, obviously there are legal elements. One of the, the things that I wanted to flag this morning, uh, Wednesday was the fact that we, In Racing Louisville's statement about Christy Holly, they said he was fired for cause, Hmm. which is, again, we have legal implications, contract implications. The fact that there is the potential of for cause also implies that he's not going to get severance or unemployment, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. a whole, there's a a lot.
2: Right. The implication of for cause is he did some no no outline in his contract and therefore he has, you know, Every other stipulation is void now.
1: Yes, exactly. So, like, there is a legal implication, but that also means, like, A, they are very confident <laughs> that something <laughs> happened, right? Because that's that's been such the, the struggle, right? And, like, that's why this is actually a step for transparency. As much as it doesn't necessarily feel like a step for transparency, the fact that we are getting fired for cause... Compare that to the Richie Burke announcement, compare that to the Tom Torres announcement a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. But also compare, like, there are other instances across the league where things have happened, we don't have a lot of information, but to actually get the words for cause, I think actually is a significant step in terms of that transparency. I know that that might frustrate people, again, because we're not getting this kind of open door, but ultimately that probably is legally where race and Louisville's limits are. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they said for cause is already such a huge step away (laughs) from mutually parted ways, we wish him luck on the, you know, like that was not the statement.
2: No, I, I, that's exactly where my brain went as well, which is like, it doesn't allow someone to just quietly leave and be like oh everything was fine we just weren't getting along or the vision on the field wasn't right it's like for cause that's public record now too it's not gonna Mm -hmm. require some background investigation or digging or anything it's like one google search and you should know Mm -hmm. right so that's part of the stuff when in talking with players and stuff you know a lot of them or the ones that we've spoken to or I've spoken to at least have been like if these people don't suffer professional consequences even if we speak up and they can just move on to a new job or stay where they are or transition into the front office why would anyone want to say a thing even Mm -hmm. if they could do it completely anonymously and so i think seeing something like this where it's becoming more obvious that you know the person did something wrong and therefore has to suffer a professional consequence, I'm not saying specific to Holly, I'm just saying in general, mm-hmm. you know, a statement that says like for cause or something like that, maybe that's going to be good for this whole, this overall reckoning that we're seeing. And I, you know, I think we also have mentioned before, it's not a coincidence. Now they have a real anti-harassment policy. Mm-hmm. And then just the dominoes start falling.
1: And, and part of that too is, It's just, it's really, one of the things too is that the anti-harassment policy obviously comes in at the start of this year, but the hiring process, right? Like that was my first question to Lisa Baird on her most recent media availability is like, what is the vetting process? Because also we are seeing head coaches come in and getting warnings about them or having them get rehired and then watching their, their departure, Right. Months or years, like, there were warning signs for a lot of these coaches. People were warned Mm -hmm. directly. They get hired. Like, who's making these
2: decisions? How are these decisions getting made? And what is different now than a year ago? Right. I think that we are... What you're talking about speaks to, like, the systemic nature of the issue. And we touched mm-hmm. on it in the reporting around Richie Burke where it's like there's this little, like, friendship group that keeps everybody employed. And if you need to move on, you just talk to a buddy or you yank on a little network thread. And it's and then we expand out to the league and we see it's a problem everywhere where bad actors or people who have, you know, red flags in their past get hired anyway because that's what the system allows them to do,
1: and it's all—it's not even just what the system, uh, you know, yanking on a, a thread, right, for a network, but also when the vetting is happening, right? Who's asking questions and who's answering them about this potential candidate? Are they all men? It's—it's a—it's a good question. Like, if and, and we don't have the like, I—I nah. I don't want to pretend like I have the answer to that because I don't. But who's being asked questions? Like, what? you know, the league, Lisa Barrett has said, okay, there's this whole vetting process in place now, and I'm assuming background checks and all that kind of stuff. Great. But what, we just don't have a lot of information on how the hiring processes work. And obviously, head coaches are getting a lot of attention right now, but that is not the only role that obviously comes directly into contact with players either. No. Right?
2: No. The Tom Torres thing took over a year to report. The thing about head coaches, they've probably worked their way up through a system, including youth soccer. And so all through the system, they've probably been in a position to enact, you know, the bad things that they did that were publicly reported on, on other teams as well. You know, can't say for certain, but what what are the odds that you, you get to the pinnacle of your profession and then only then do you start acting like a jackass? you know, yeah. at the professional level. Um, yeah, so sure, maybe they'll do a background check and it'll turn out these people have never technically done anything illegal or have never been caught for doing something illegal, right? And, like, Well,
1: it's not even just something illegal. It's what is the culture that has been normalized?
2: Exactly, exactly. This is something I actually talked a little bit about with Megan Klingenberg, because you remember in the wake of the Spirit reporting, and this article should be coming out at some point on the Athletic. Hopefully, I think it's a really good one. I talked to her and Katie Naughton from the Houston Dash around ICC, and um, she was talking. I was asking her like, because she because she-, she talked about you know we're we're sick of this. The players are sick of this. We deserve a safe playing environment. And I asked her like, what do you think? Do you think part of it is because especially once you get to the elite tier of um, sports? Kind of, at least in the American system, a lot of it is athletes are conditioned to just not question the coach or to not question authority. You're conditioned to be a good team player. We talk about athletes who are coachable, right? Mm-hmm. Usually to mean an athlete who does what a coach says or is willing to work with you. Although, when it comes to particularly young players or it comes to uh, women um, or to trans and non binary players, these are more vulnerable players, as Megan Klingenberg pointed out to me, that maybe I have an extra layer of vulnerability when it comes to obeying authority or to being vulnerable to people abusing authority. And so I think that is part of the culture. And we saw it in the Olympics as well, where people would slam Simone Biles for not toughing her way through it instead of being like, it's okay to prioritize yourself as a person. And to not say that winning at all costs is the number one thing or that the team is the number one thing. And so there's there's a mentality here that can produce great results, yes, but can also be twisted for ill.
1: Yeah. Also, f- the thing that I always remember about Kling as well is that she was drafted by Magic Jack. Oh. 2011. Yes. Yes. She, so She
2: talked about that, how she came out of a, a an abusive situation and just was like, never again. Yeah. Um,
1: for those of you who might be new to women's soccer, um, I don't, we do not, Magic Jack could be its own episode and we do not have the time for it today, but there is basically like one big ESPN, the magazine story, I believe about kind of what happened at Magic Jack and how that team went down and, you know, the role it had in the demise of WPS league before. NWCL. I highly, highly recommend reading it because I also just have been thinking a lot about how
2: we basically learn no lessons. Right, it's an deck. enormous cautionary tale about you know letting in an investor because they bamboozle you with the money that they're willing to spend on the team, and then they promptly establish their own little fiefdom where they run the team like their you know their personal backyard performing you know, soccer troop that mm-hmm. they have complete 100% total control of. And I don't know if that sounds familiar to you well. <laughs>
1: yeah. Again, we we did not really learn a lot from Magic Jack. Um, I, I highly recommend reading that because I find we do not necessarily always look to women's soccer history in terms of what lessons we could be learning and that one was a very big one that i also think part of this too is that there is this obviously the the harassment part is a huge part of it but the culture part is a huge part of it but there's this third thread too that runs through so much of this and that's this kind of like paternalistic approach to women's soccer oh boy. right and we like Obviously, this has been a, a kind of a thread through my reporting with U.S. Soccer and the equal pay lawsuit. Like you go back to some of these more historical arguments, and part of it is just like we're doing, we're doing more than anyone else, right? Like why aren't you grateful? Like again, there's this thread of being grateful, mm-hmm. and not just like why you can pl- just be happy that you're playing, right? Right. Don't don't worry about it. You have it better than anyone else. Don't worry about it. Um... And that has been kind of this thread through U.S. soccer, but I think it also really comes through on the NWSL side as well and in many different ways, and obviously Steve Baldwin is kind of the latest example of this. But, I mean, again, Magic Jack, a huge warning here because the lead of that ESPN the Magazine story is an anecdote of of Dan Borislaw telling players to call him daddy. Oh, God. It's so... Like, there are extremes of this as well, but also there is just kind of this mm-hmm. paternalism that runs through so much of this.
2: Right. Whenever someone comes along and is like, Yeah, I invested in women's soccer because my daughter's like, as a father <laughs> of daughters, and you're like, First of all, check off a little bingo square. And second, yep. come on, dude. So, if you didn't have daughters, you wouldn't care about women's soccer? And you're getting a little preview of the article that hopefully is coming out with, with Kling, um, where she also talked about this, where she talked about how players have been conditioned to believe that women's soccer could fail at any time. Yes. Um, huge, huge
1: element here, too. And it's yeah. not
2: just coming from owners and stuff. Sometimes it may even come from older players. If you look back to the reporting around Sky Blue, when conditions were really, really bad, I believe you know one of the players who spoke up was like, older players or other people in the locker room would be like please don't make trouble because we should just be grateful for what we have so don't make waves because you know either it's a house of cards right right? like either either they'd come from situations which to be fair they have trauma from like wps collapsing or something and they're like please i need this or you know they things have gotten better enough so that by comparison they're like by comparison things are great and it's like but you're still making 10 grand a year you know stuff like that so yeah yeah, players are conditioned to think at any second you could lose it all and when you operate from that fear mentality you can manipulate people to do a lot and i think Kling had a really important point she's like we're headed into year 10 this league is not going to collapse knock on wood You know, people need to, and that's, (laughs) that's that's some of the attitude that is part of this whole player CBA thing with the Universal Players Association, where they're unionizing and asking for more. And it's like, look, if you want to be a real, like grown up professional league, we got to, we got to be a professional league. So these are the standards that we want to set that would enable us to perform as a professional league without, without the players, you have no product.
1: Yes. Which... I mean, it, it, the CBA negotiations are obviously still one of, if not the most important storyline of the year. In end of, I mean, like they play into everything, really, mm-hmm. but so much is riding on this CBA. And so many of the conversations that I have off the record does not really inspire me with confidence that this is being handled well. On the league side, um, but I do think the players are deeply engaged with collective bargaining, the process, what they need from it. Obviously, the no side hustles campaign I think has been like I think it's it's broken through mm-hmm. in a in a pretty meaningful way as well. Like I think we have seen no more side hustles banners across the league, right? Like there is now. Um, I think an, an understanding of solidarity between players and supporters, and I think one of the other big conversations here is that when we're when we're talking about the NWL, are we talking about the NWL as a concept, right? Like, what's wrong with the NWL right now? Well, like, is there really anything wrong with the players? No. <laughs> is there something wrong with the supporters? No. Is there something wrong with front offices and ownerships? Hmm. Potentially, right? Like, yeah. so what? What are we talking about when we're talking about the NWCL and like what truly makes this league? And I think that that answer, which feels fairly obvious to me, <laughs> is a little more instructive of to bring it back around to this kind of earlier concept of folks maybe walking away from this league, right? I think people are being asked to do unnecessary work at this point in time, right? I think there's a really good and I deeply apologize because I have no idea like it was one of the things I saw and it it stuck itself into my brain and I have no idea where it is and I looked for it could not find it, but this concept that like good journalism is a replacement for an HR office.
2: Yeah. Now that you've mentioned it I'm like, yeah, I saw that too and now where is the oh god Okay. Yeah,
1: but that that sort of like people are being asked to do work that they should not be doing, right? Yeah. Like we should like these processes should work, <laughs> players should be safe. It should not take sunshine coming in from all of these external sources, right? But it's happening. Again, it does feel like a real reckoning. And on the flip side, I think there are a couple of options, right? And yes, to be fair, one of them. Involves the NWL in in significant danger, mm-hmm. but I think there's also far more likely a future where ten years down the line we look back on this time as kind of the dark time of NWL. Yeah, and that there is a potential for the league to come out as a concept and as a as a entity that goes beyond a front office a commissioner owners right like this actual concept to come out stronger but it takes unfortunately a lot of work that shouldn't shouldn't be put on a lot of shoulders
2: yeah if teams in the league are willing to be a little scared a little vulnerable through this process and if players and coaches and owners see like there are real consequences shitty behavior and the league is like brave enough to be like yeah we'll enforce it and we'll be willing to get rid of however many coaches or owners right um may- maybe we could come through it I think the league and the fans maybe conceptualize themselves being in a tough place because you are know, like I support the players but the way you support the players is by giving money to the team so that the players can get paid. And then you're like, but I don't want to put money into this owner's pocket. I don't want to give money to a team that has like a defense contractor for a sponsor yeah. or something like that. And so I think the players themselves, just based on you know, their their no side hustles and the way that they've spoken about this, So obviously I can't speak for the players. I'm making a guess based on the information that they have put out there is that they want to get paid. They want to play. And so the way to support the players is to show up, but there's room within that the way the Rose Room Collective did to show your disapproval for what's going on. Now, we have talked before about how the fans that actually show up and buy tickets are maybe not necessarily the same fans who are most vocal on social media. So for example, when the Washington spirit have a former NSA head or four-star air force general on who may have done war crimey things (laughs) under the Bush administration um, and people still come to the games and clap on military appreciation night, it gives the owners this idea that they can get away with that. So that maybe is the room where fans can come in and disrupt ownership's view of their fan base and be like, look, the way to get us to really support your team and buy in and give you more money is to cut that shit out.
1: Is the NWSL as a as a league entity now willing to sell its soul essentially to become the NFL? Ugh. Right? Yeah. Or do they look at the WNBA and say, that's a different path that we could also go on? Yeah. Like that is essentially, from a from a league front office point of view, kind of are two paths right at the moment. Mm-hmm. In terms of you want this explosive growth. What do you have to sacrifice to get it?
2: Yeah, and I think it would be good for... Do you have to sacrifice right, to get it? I think it would be good for league leadership to also... This is a question I think we've asked a lot of times, which is, okay, more money is starting to come into the game. Like, what should we pursue? And what do we want to look like? And is the root in men's sports necessarily the best... The best way to go because I think quite clearly the answer is no, not really. In many, many, many cases, you know, you people talk about wanting to be, for example, like the next Barcelona, Barcelona. <laughs> and well, you know, I guess you are all PSG fans now, but you, you know, it's there, there's something to be said for like saying no to a hundred billion dollars because it's better to you know to make the hundred million dollar deal. These are gross amounts of money, but do you get what I'm trying to point at where it's yeah. like it's okay to like not always have the biggest glitziest richest deal if it's if like there's another deal that kind of lets you keep your soul intact a little more for a little less money?
1: Yeah I I it does amuse me that I feel like we're just continuing the conversation that we had. Two weeks ago, important. Like, that's that's where we are. The other thought I, I had this morning coming back to work is, you know, looking at the month ahead, and, you know, I've got a couple stories that I've, I've been working on for a very long time that are probably going to come to an end, but one of the other things that was kind of on our calendar for this month was the NWSL Supporter Survey, which we did a couple of times last year, and overall... Overall, a very positive experience. And I, I just feel like that's going to be a very different vibe this time around. Boy, people are mad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Every negative story that comes out, they just matter and matter and matter. And, you know, at some point, people are going to get fatigued and burn out. But right now, people are mad, as they should be. As they should be. Like, I highly encourage you contact your ticket rep, contact, you know, um, send, send nice, politely worded emails. <laughs> Yes. I mean, and I think that's part of it, too, is that
1: Twitter is one thing, but what's going to actually move the needle on a lot of these things is, like, direct, thoughtful contacts.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not just, like, hey, you." I hope you, you know, sit on a knife. (laughs) As someone who
1: used to run the social media account for the (laughs) NWSL, let me tell you, I mean, it all did get passed along, but it also... It it's a, it's a it's an experience to have to read it. Right. Um, if it's and if also it's, that person has no is not empowered no. to address these things. They again, they can pass it along, right? And I think that's another part of this too is understanding that social media administrators are not your enemy. <laughs> They're often underpaid, I don't do this anymore. Overworked. <laughs> I don't do this anymore, but they are not your enemy. And if you treat them with respect also, I think that message will get passed along with a little more
2: emphasis yeah. on your behalf. Well, this is um, one of my favorite things to think about or talk about, which is when you're communicating, are you communicating in a way that is going to achieve your goal? So when you're communicating with the clubs, please keep in mind your goal. It may feel good to yell, hey, F you in the F and F and F <laughs> buddy, right? Um. <laughs> But is that going to achieve your goal of making the club a healthier, more profitable place where the players enjoy playing and the games are good, and you know you feel okay about paying a t- for a ticket and buying a jersey there? So just yes. be goal oriented. <laughs> we need to come up with a you got, acronym. You got to move out of the feeling stage and into the goal oriented stage. Solution solution oriented.
1: All right, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Uh, I guess we will see what the rest of the
2: week
1: <laughs> brings. But now, now I feel like I saw a lot of these things on Twitter, but also I would just kind of look at them and go like, okay.
2: That's future <laughs> like Meg's the
1: whole, problem. The whole the Freya saga from my flight to Anchorage, where I'd had this very good, thoughtful conversation with her to like, yeah, the, the fallout from that was... Um, even that alone was a real journey.
2: That was hilarious, though, because they reached out to both of us to discuss like the uh, embargoed um, release on the coach, and we were like, we are both literally getting on planes at this moment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at separate locations. Uh, yes. So great timing.
1: Yeah, we're really good at that. Um, all right. So I guess until until next time. Until next time. Stay goal-oriented. Thank you to Steph, as always. Remember, goal-oriented. But next up, we've got Douglas Reyes-Saron from the Rose Room Collective to fill us in on that banner and everything else happening in Washington, D.C. Here we go. All right, so let's let's just start with some scene setting here. We know so much is happening with the Washington Spirit. So much is happening with the NWSL right now. But first, if you could maybe introduce folks who might not know what the Rose Room Collective is, just to the to the group.
3: Sure. Um earlier this year, a group of fans and I that support both the Washington Spirit and DC United, all non-white supporters thought, "Hey, why not form this coalition of voices together?" And f- Created this supporter group, and that is what Rose Room Collective is. We wanted to give non-white voices a bigger room around here and their own seat at the table, and that's our intent when we came on here and do what we can in that capacity. All of our founders, myself, Riss Willett, Aaron Bland, and Sarah Colossi, decided this needed to happen in a sea of mostly white people leading these crews and making up the majority of these supporters.
1: So with that with that set. Obviously there there has been a lot of news coming out of Washington. We don't need to retread a lot of it for for folks who might have missed it. Obviously a lot happened even while I was on vacation, but we're let's just kind of focus in on what happens on the most recent game. So just very quick scene setting. Steve Baldwin has come under pressure, you know, Lisa Baird has gone to this Houston dash game with another major you know, another owner of the team. They are seen sitting in the stands. There's clearly this kind of like behind the scenes ownership battle that is happening. And then Roseroom Collective shows up to the game with a banner. So if you could maybe walk us through just what your hope and intent was, um, to to kind of show what you were thinking.
3: Our intent was Made very clear that at the current state of the Washington Spirit right now, it is not sustainable, and a lot of these issues come from the top with Steve Baldwin. Your your reporting with The Athletic, along with Molly Hensley-Clancy's reporting from The Washington Post, made it very, very clear to us that he, along with Larry Best and Richie Burke, are the problems here, and Steve, being the owner, is the person that greenlit all of this. And the thing is that he has been problematic beforehand. There's been some issues even well before this last month, such as the partnership with Qatar and his reaction over that. I've discussed this elsewhere. He had an infamous Zoom where he chimed in, called in from Qatar, and did not have the greatest reaction at Spirit Squadron's announcement, saying, hey, this is not cool, and it's problematic, here's why. He did not react to that well, and he's keeping up with that that same oh, that's sorry I'm losing the words. He's doing the same thing over again, doing all of the wrong options right now.
1: Right. Okay, so you you come to the game, there's a banner. <laughs> what does the banner say?
3: Sell the team, Steve.
1: Pretty simple message. <laughs> what happens? First of all, this game is at Audi Field, correct? Yeah. Yes. So, you walk in uh Within the bounds of the Fan Conduct Policy, I I would assume that this does not hit any of those notes. Was there any discussion before of, we need to make sure that this banner that we're going to display doesn't violate any rules in an attempt to make sure that it stays?
3: Yeah, I reviewed... So this is a funny element. <laughs> The Spirit abide by DC United's current code of conduct on their website. They don't. The Spirit do not have one on their website, so they go by DC United's fan code of conduct. And being that we support both DC United and the Spirit, we had become familiar with it due to recent events on that side of the... on the men's soccer side of the fence. And knowing what we've seen in the past, I knew that that sign did not violate that code of conduct.
1: Interesting. Did I... I... It is always very interesting to me when NWL teams are obviously sharing venues with MLS teams. I see it a lot with Gotham FC in terms of them following stadium policies that New York Red Bulls have put into place, which is always kind of interesting of you're in someone else's building, right? You're not necessarily in control of it. You might also be using their staff as well. So that's another element of it, which I think always adds kind of this extra layer of you're never really quite sure of, who you're dealing with at any given moment? Slash, I think we have all gotten very used to kind of understanding the NWSL landscape, and then you also now throw in this third party that ultimately is not necessarily in this world. Interesting. All right. So the banner goes in. What what happens next?
3: From my rem- from what I remember, we made an agreement to hoist it up for the first minute of the first half because that was also around the moment the Spirit Squadron posted up their Protect the Players banner. That was a similar action we did the previous game. And so I thought, okay, we'll do the same thing, time that up in the same manner. That goes up successfully. I put it down for a little bit, and then I contemplate, well, why don't we put this banner back up? And our our friend Angus... Who is cited in the defect article? We discussed it and we realized, oh, we can mount it with the uh, support with the. Sorry, what's the term I'm forgetting? Like the, the PVC pole.
1: pipes. Yeah, the PVC yeah.
3: pipes. We could put those in the in between the iron of the supporter section, the safe standing iron, and we ma- we mounted it up at some point and pop it on there, so it's there stationary the whole time, and. That, I think it happens around the 25th minute. I actually was checking the Paramount Plus broadcast the other day. And it's roughly around the 25th minute. We mount it. And it goes undisturbed until basically right when the half... It, it just right before the half ends. If you rewind the footage, right around the stoppage time, right before the whistle's bone, you can see the CSE security approaching the banner. And my friend Angus, who's wearing this really bold red, white, and blue striped shirt approaching the, the, the guest services rep and seeing what the heck's going on.
1: Right. So what did, when when this encounter starts happening, what was the message from the stadium staff?
3: So this one was, to also add a detail that you mentioned earlier, a guest services rep of Audi Field, who is wearing a right. DC United lanyard, is the one standing in front of it, approaches, uh, if I remember right, Angus pulls me aside, because I'm in another section next door. He pulls me and says, hey, they're over here asking about your banner. So then I go up, talk to them. That's when I ask, what's going on? They said, hey, this is violating the code of conduct. And I ask, okay, can you please list where in the code of conduct is this violating? They've said, you know, it's violating. I'm like, okay, where? And then that's when they get on the radio and said, "Uh, he's asking about the code of conduct. And then walks away, and I'm just kind of standing there, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, it's about to go down. I had brought back a seltzer and a bottle of water. I need to be in good shape, so I'm just immediately (laughs) drinking the bottle of water and I'm just thinking, okay, this is about to happen. And then that's when they pull a rep from the Washington Spirit over towards me, reiterating the same thing. And that's when I thought, okay, I can bring it down.
1: Okay. When did... and And I know... You had tweeted during the game saying there was a message that ownership requested the banner coming down.
3: Yeah, as I understood, everything was going on and I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. My friend Angus is the one who was initially talking to the rep, and he says that that's what he heard. And I trust his language on that because <laughs> knowing some of the behavior of ownership as of late, it is very, it would be very, very obvious to me that that would happen anyway.
1: Right. And, and that's what I think was very interesting is, first of all, everybody's kind of following <laughs> the saga of this banner. Com- because we've also seen it in other stadiums in terms of, you know, there, I, I think the NWSL in general has kind of allowed the the no more side hustle stuff to stay up. I think they have understood that if those banners come down, it's only going to become a bigger story. Right. The same thing happened with the Equal Pay banner that was up in Connecticut. At one of the final send-off matches for the U.S. Women's National Team, where there was an equal pay banner up, it, it got taken down. It became like half of the problem of taking a banner down is then it becomes a bigger story, which is exactly what has happened here. <laughs> for those the, on the for the for the podcast forum, Douglas is nodding very firmly <laughs> at the moment. Where it's just what was not necessarily. I I mean, and this is part of, I think what I'd like to discuss with you is, as fans and supporters who are paying to be at the game and to follow the team, there is, uh, I think, uh, a pact with ownership that communication is a two-way street. And having the banner up should be, I think, firmly within the bounds of that two-way communication as much as you might not necessarily enjoy the content of the message, but then to then pull the banner down and have it become what it has become now only gets the conversation at an even higher level. What is is the general reaction been so far? I know obviously there there have been some articles and all that kind of stuff as well.
3: Um, It's been pretty supportive. Everyone... everyone's seeing what's been going on with the spirit everyone knows yeah this isn't great and everyone can already tell even before the banner that it's clear it was falling on ownership and it was the support online has been pretty spectacular from all sides of media and supporters out there i think we had a bit of luck when they actually put the North Carolina supporters right next to the Spirit Squadron, (laughs) which was an interesting decision. But a massive silver lining was that when they saw everything was going on, uh, we communicated with them, hey, we want to do a sell the team chant. Would y'all be down to tag along with us? Kind of got fortunate that the game was zero zero at that point. So we thought, okay, we can make this work. And they came down and did the drum with us in solidarity.
1: Right, which I think is... That feels like a real Cell moment to me, <laughs> right? It just in terms of, first of all, in MLS, you would never have the two supporter sections sitting next to each other ever. So I think that also speaks to kind of the interesting nature of Cell, But the fact that I-, I feel like Ebony was involved in this, right? Like she was yeah. at the game. Yeah.
3: She was the person I talked to. Um, it was communicating with Angie from Spirit Squadron and mm-hmm. then Ebony, I proposed that idea and she was like, yeah, that seems cool. And then they got to talking and then just in a flash mobilized, moved all the drums down there and got it done. There was a really funny moment where one of the teams almost scored and I'm almost like, for the first time I'm like, like, please don't score for the love of everything. Please don't score just yet. I want to keep this moment going. And it thankfully did not happen.
1: What has the communication been like with other support obviously you know Spirit Squadron are a factor here but again you know North Carolina supporters getting involved I feel like there is a real um community within the supporters groups but obviously there's also kind of institutions like the independent supporters council like what has been the the larger communication that's been happening
3: Yeah I know I've been talking with the head of ISC about what's been going mm-hmm. on, and I've been chit-chatting with various different uh, representatives from other supporter groups, talking to folks at Kansas City, Chicago, um, North Carolina. I'm blanking on who else, and, and and Portland as well. Just everyone saw blatantly what happened and wants to chip in however they can, and there are still wheels in motion as we speak.
1: Okay, so wheels in motion, do you, I, I don't want to have you do spoilers for something that might be in the works, but obviously, again, um, I think in one of the Washington Spirit articles that we did at The Athletic, you know, Megan Burke, who is the executive director of the NWSL Players Association, basically said, this is kind of a reckoning right now, and Washington Spirit have... Become a very interesting sort of face of of what's happening at the moment, even as other things are also happening. Obviously, there was news in Louisville, but you know, there's there's a lot happening. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. But in terms of you know where Rose Room Collective is right at the moment, where the the general supporters of the Washington Spirit are at the moment, it really feels like from a team perspective. A lot is still very much happening. Obviously, no sale of the team has happened. So kind of where where is everyone at in Washington right now?
3: I think we are all just having moments of both feeling empowered but feeling tired because through the course of the Spirit's history, it has been a lot. This isn't the first controversy this team has had to go through. You can go all the way back to... When Bill Lynch was the primary owner and his all of his actions when Megan Rapino kneeled, going through all that, and then the transition of Baldwin, the Challenge Cup, everything that we've seen from that to here. It's both a, we dearly want a successful professional women's soccer team in, in D.C., but every time there's always something to go along with it that feels like something internally keeps sabotaging it, and it is just exhausting.
1: Yeah, I, so I, I guess part of this too is also in terms of that support, in terms of these other communications, you know, I, I've had a a number of conversations even today just being back in terms of A, catching up, but kind of B, I guess the overall landscape, right? And one of the big themes has been, you know, I think that there's kind of this external like what is happening with the cell right now, right? Like and and also there is so much tension at this point that fans are exhausted the supporters are exhausted that it kind of feels insurmountable but also that there is this sense of all of this work is necessary right now because as it i, I think you said earlier right like this is not sustainable this is not this is not a good situation at the moment and there has to be work done in order to have a better result on the other side but in the meantime i think the the kind of the bigger conversation to have here is who's doing that work
3: um i just know us supporters will do what we can but it can't just be us alone there's got to be other external forces to help push this issue along upward and find the answer it is clear to me that Like what we've said, it's unsustainable, and it's not even just players who are very much being affected by what's been going on. It's also the team staff across these organizations. They're also seeing what's going on and just contemplating, do I even stick around with this? People have asked me why did I cave uh, when the rep from the Spirit came up to me, and it was because of the fact that I know for a fact that they are also... Under duress in a way that they are having to carry the burden of what's been happening by the actions of these these three old white dudes, but they're having to ca- and they're having to catch all the heat for it every which way. For us, it was the firing of Lindsay Barons that for us was the, the Pandora's box. She was interfacing with us all the time. She was our. Let me phrase this. In talking to her we felt like she was our biggest ally in that organization so to see her get fired the way she did after the Intellibridge sponsorship just it was kind of the no it's all hands on deck now and it, that has only made life for I know that staff even worse so at some point you just wonder when does it when does it break yeah. and I don't I don't know how much longer this can last. And I don't think also, and I don't think the Spirit are alone in this. There's other, there's almost certainly other team staffs at other organizations also just barely hanging on there.
1: Yeah, I think that is a a very important note of just who's empowered, right? And who is empowered that also gets set aside when that empowerment becomes a problem. And I think that is. You know, again, you, you said kind of like that was the Pandora's box, but like even before that was happening, I, I one of the ways that I think people kept talking about Washington spirit was there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, right? Like that is always the struggle, too, of ensuring that, at least from my side of it, that things are being reported responsibly, right? I mean, the the Tom Torres news, obviously there was fallout there as well over the past week in terms of um, a new W League team, Nova FC, announcing the team was moving to W League, announcing Tom Torres as their head coach, and then having to backtrack on that move, thanks in part to the reporting that we did at at The Athletic, saying he, he he parted ways with the team and was allowed to say parted ways with the team, but there was actually an incident that led to his departure that, would be considered a problem <laughs> for most organizations. And so I think that is that is certainly a part of it, is that these things do have to get reported and vetted and all of that kind of stuff. But knowing still, even from the outside, that you can kind of see that something is not right. And then actually being able to peel back those layers is a real challenge, especially, as you said, like there are multiple layers between us and perhaps what is happening so um, i do want to end with you in terms of you know how people can kind of follow along with what's still happening whether that's rose room collective whether that's kind of just in general on where the supporters are at with the spirit
3: yeah you can find rose room collective we have the website roseroomcollective.com and our socials go at rose room co on twitter and at rose room collective on instagram you can find all of our information there we're still going to be figuring out our future plans as we go along there are some short-term plans in the works but it's still very up in the air especially as the stuff with the spirit literally is day to day to day Mm -hmm. every day there's always something happening and we're just trying to keep up and we figure we'll, we'll keep trying to do our best and just make it clear sell the team steve
1: all right. Well, thank you for your time. Obviously, we will be following the story and then trying to to figure out what's going on, but I definitely I think it's, you know, the league is more than front offices and and players. It is also folks in the stands. Um so I think it is very helpful to to get your perspective on this.
3: Much appreciated for that. Yeah. Uh there's a lot of us out there that care and on investing everything into it. And I just hope Lisa Baird and the leaderships of all these teams take notice.
1: Thank you again to Steph as always. And to Douglas, I've got more in the show notes on how to follow the Rose room collective plus that latest round of reporting from the Washington post. If you missed it now, one more thing as always just to cycle back to Portland in the women's ICC for a moment. I just want to say thank you to everyone who said hello while I was there. I mean, so many folks said that they subscribed to The Athletic, they listened to the podcast, all of that kind of good stuff. And so, first of all, I apologize for always being a little bit awkward, I, I but I do hope everyone knows how much I appreciate you and the fact that you come up to me and say these things. It was incredible. The games were incredible. I got to do some new stuff, like flash interviews at the end of the games, which was honestly Very amazing, and a new kind of challenge and pressure, which I really appreciated, but it was truly great to see so many familiar faces, to be back at Providence Park, and to do sit-down interviews as well. (laughs) What a concept. Um, I've got a couple on the way with Olivia Moultrie and Katarina Macario. So get subscribing if you haven't already so you can read them as soon as they drop. I've got some other stuff in the works as well. For all things full time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information on the podcast. You can subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com/slash full time. Get that 50% off. While there is still time on that offer, my name is Meg Linehan. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at it's Meg Linehan. If you want to see some Alaska photos, Instagram is definitely the place for that one. Uh, you can find my work at The Athletic. Full time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thank you for listening. It's so good to be back.